Steve Ray from the Owl's Nest Barbecue Podcast and myself decided to team up and do a podcast together to where I interviewed him for mine and he interviewed me for his podcast. This was fun to do. Join in and listen to what we both got to say. Welcome to the Butcher Barbecue Podcast, World Headquarters, Wellston, Oklahoma. The Butcher Turned Pitmaster, your host, David Bosca. This is Steve Ray with Al's Nest Barbecue Show, and today we're going to do something different. David Bosca of Butcher Barbecue and I are going to do a combined podcast. Hello, Steve. This is David with Butcher Barbecue. And the same thing on my end. For my podcast, we're going to do a combined one with Steve Ray. David, I think this is the first time anyone has ever tried this. So I hope it comes off pretty good, okay? Well, a couple of ranked amateurs like us, and I'm not even going to go with ranked, but there's a chance that it will not. So let's just go with what we got going. All right. Uh, I'll go first, David. And I want everybody to know first that David is the uh, premier supplier for the Owlsness Barbecue Supply Store in Little Watt, Tennessee. We carry all of his products, and uh, he's great to do business with. And if you're out there listening and you have any inkling of doing a retail store, or retail operation, make sure you include butcher barbecue products in your mix. Okay, David, recently we learned that you worked for Sam's Club for several years. I didn't know that. And the obvious question to me that no one has asked you yet is, did you ever meet Sam Walton? Sam Walton passed away probably within the first year of me working there. I've got to meet his brother mm-hmm. and some of his kids. Did they uh, did they convey to you the the spirit that he had for his retail operation? When I worked for the company, it was still large. There was still a lot of Sam Walton and Miss Helen Walton's, how can I say, fortitude, thought process, uh, the way they wanted to handle managers. We call them partners. Mm-hmm. All the partners in the different departments, the home office, everyone was one group. I worked there 10 years and I'm not going to say that it changed, but it absolutely changed. I can imagine. Okay. After the Sam's career, I'm I'm assuming that that's when you started uh, the butcher barbecue or the butcher processing plan. Is that correct? Yes. Directly after. Okay. Take me through a day in the butcher processing plant uh, schedule. Start. Oh, okay. Uh, what's a day like for a butcher? Levi and I would walk in. We would put the shop together. And what I mean by that, we would reassemble the saw, the grinder, grab what cutting forms needed because we've already um, chased down the customer and figured out how they wanted their meat cut. We'd get racks r- ready to stack the meat on before we put it in the freezer. Just kind of give everything an oversight. You always do a visual You walk into the freezer, you walk into the cooler, make sure everything's working good, and we would just get started. We would roll out the first quarter, lay it on the table, and start cutting. And Levi and I had a good uh, dialogue. We would chat all day long, and we called it our cutting blocks. Well, let me take that back. Uh, the, The meeting block. We would talk about business. We would talk about butcher barbecue. We would talk about just him going to school, going to college, just, you know, father-son conversation. We would, at first, he did a lot of the wrapping because we vacuum packed. Mm -hmm. Over time, he knew how to cut the meat. 
So he would watch me doing it. I'd let him trim it first, make the hamburger. Then as he went to realize in the different angles and the different cuts, he'd start breaking the meat down. I'd start wrapping. And then it would literally would get back and forth. Whoever was caught up would jump over and wrap and the other one would keep cutting. And we would finish out the, well, we'd go to lunch, come back, finish it out, clean the meat shop up. And if we needed to do hams or bacon, we would jump down. First person done would start curing the meat and or the second one or first one would stack the freezer. And what I mean by that is we would take the meat that we'd cut the day before, put it in boxes with the names of the people that uh, it belonged to. And then we'd call them and say, hey, your meat's ready. And then you're ready to go. Yeah, every week we had a weekly process. We always had to get driving directions to where the next set of meats were going to be processed, slaughtered, I should say. Mm -hmm. So we were always, I'd say, I'd always call it chasing the farmer because they would move their herd or it would be a new person or you just never knew where different people would put their animals. So we had to get the exact directions the day before. And then we'd tell them, hey, in 10 days, two weeks, we'll call you and get cutting directions. So when David, when somebody harvests an animal and they bring it to you, what's the process that you go through to to serve return that animal to the customer in a an edible form? All right, two things with what your question was. You said when they harvest the animal and bring it to me, they can do that with um, wild game, but when it comes to beef or pork. We had to go out and do the processing. We had to do a visual inspection. And if the animal was over 30 months old, as far as beef, we had to what we call tooth it. Because if it's over 30 months old, you have to handle it different back in the plant so that the spinal cord would be removed for the mad cow disease. Oh, okay. So So as far as if they harvested it, we're going to go with whitetail. They would bring the whitetail in and we would not be doing uh, beef or pork during that time frame. We would only do wild game, bring that into the shop, and we would do anywhere from 30, 40 a day. 30 or 40 deer a day? Yes. Good God. And uh, we would, how would you, how we would, would hang you return it? it? Just would you portion it out? How, how do you return it to the customer? Okay. Everybody that brought us their wild game got their deer back. If they took care of it, they cleaned the insides out good with a gallon of water. We would skin it. We did everything boneless. Mm -hmm. Wash it, clean it, cut it, vacuum pack it. Same process after that. But if that person didn't take care of that meat, and let's say it sat around for 8 or 10, 12 hours, that happens, Mm -hmm. they would get that meat back. The hunters that respected the animal, they got theirs back. And those that were the weekend warriors Mm -hmm. that really didn't understand how wild game flavor gets into the meat, they got that back too. (laughs) So some of it was good and maybe some of it not so good. Yeah. But it depends on how they treat it, not how the butcher treats it. That's right. And what would you do? Like You'd say, like, would you label it like this is the... Um, I'm not familiar that familiar with uh, with deer meat, but I guess you, I guess it has ribs, uh, a loin, a butt. Okay, for for, for lack of a better word, uh, a ham. Okay, well, like I said, we did everything boneless, so there wasn't rib meat specifically because most of the time when someone is harvesting that animal, they're going to blow through that rib cage. You're going to have bones everywhere. It's going to be tore all up. It's going to be very bloody. Mm-hmm. So that would not go back. We would hang it up with its hind legs 
and we would start skinning it from the bottom up. I apologize, top down. We boned from the bottom up and it would go into a plastic tub all by itself. The All the cuts, the tips, the rounds, the back strap, the everything. And then the hunting carcass tag that the farmer, the deck, I'm going to keep saying farmer, the hunter would bring in, would go in a Ziploc and go on the top of that. Okay. And then they would fill out their cutting sheet. Did they want steaks, roast, chops, being the back strap, stew meat, beef jerky meat sliced? We didn't make beef jerky, but we would slice for it. Mm-hmm. So they Ground would basically beef, tell you, want... you what they want. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. That's probably... It would be no different than a piece of beef. You can tell I'm not a hunter, David. I've got a tree stand set up in the frozen food section at my local Publix. That's where <laughs> I do most of my hunting at. Um, what's the most? What is the most unusual animal you butchered for someone? Oh, I can answer that real quick. Neil guy. Repeat that. Neil guy. And what is that? It's an African animal that looks like part horse, part elk. Hmm. How big was it? This was a pretty good size. I would say the back strap would be a bigger diameter than what you get for like a ribeye or a strip steak. And how did they get it from? I, I, I guess it was 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 killed in Africa and brought. To the United States? No, it was killed on a ranch down in Texas. Okay. And they ice chest it and brought it to me. And did you know what it was when you saw it? Or did you say, what is this? Or It, it was one it of matter. our wildlife commissions, mm-hmm. commissioners. And he had called me on his way up. We'd done a lot of animals for him. And he says, hey, are you open? I told him, yeah. He says, well, I'm coming from Texas with a wild game. He said, I'll, I'll yell at you and drop it off. And when he got here, he told me what it was. And I, I don't guess it matters. It's all, I guess, when you start breaking them down, they're all about the same. Is that right? Every animal is super close. There's minor differences. But for the most part, Mother Nature makes marks for everything that if you know where to hit it, you'll know how to break it down. Hey, at the height of your butcher business, how many people worked for you or worked with you? And how many family members were working with you at the time? When y'all were really, we had one guy. Um, we had one guy that did the killing force, mm-hmm. and Levi and myself. That's it. Yep, the whole time. As far as my personal meat plant. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. And then um, now you, I know you're, you're too young to retire. So what made you close the butcher business? It's kind of a two part question. During or sorry. Between Sam's Club and the meat plant, I had broke my back. Wow. And I had to have surgery. I was down for six months, something like that. I don't even remember. I was bedridden for about 60 days. I couldn't get out of bed. Couldn't feel my legs. Were you in an accident or? No, I shot archery. Mm-hmm. And I was coming back from an archery tournament. And I'd actually bulged a couple discs. That Monday when we got back from Louisiana, I'd went to a doctor and he didn't x-ray, he didn't do anything. He just did manipulation, you know, little twist, pop, crack, different things. And he broke the bottom disc in my back and it went down the inside of my spinal column. How bad did that hurt? Yeah, it was severe. Yeah. Yeah, it was very severe. So so fast forward, what did that have to do with closing the butcher shop? When Levi opened his restaurant five years ago, that was my young, strong back. Mm-hmm. And when he was gone, I knew that it was just a matter of time before I couldn't do anymore. And I didn't want to be one of those that was 58, 60 years old and hunched over just from picking up 40-pound tubs. So I decided 
I, the hardest thing I had to do was hang my quiver up and know I was done. Now, is the building uh, is the building that you owned and worked in? Is it still standing? I mean, is it still there? Yeah, yeah, it's all my place. It's my place. Yeah, I was actually in there this morning. I retained and kept my cutting block, my vacuum machine, uh, slicer. Levi took some of the equipment up to the restaurant, but I sold the majority of my hanging rails, my hooks, uh, my trolleys for the um, rails, mm-hmm. rail scales, saw grinders, tenderizers, all that. So when you got out, you got out. When I got out and I was turning the key, I had decided that barbecue was going to be it. Mm-hmm. All right. So when when you trans when you transferred from butcher from David Bosca the butcher to David Bosca the butcher barbecue, what was the first product that you developed for butcher barbecue products? Butcher barbecue was already rolling. Um, I had been selling stuff for probably no probably five years, six years. Mm-hmm. It probably carried the meat market for a little while. So running the meat market wasn't pure profit. There is a lot of electric. Yeah. And a lot of overhead as far as that goes. And I not take something home. So what was the first thing that you developed when you, and what like, what made you want to develop it? And what was the first thing that you developed? First thing I developed was a premium rub. Mm-hmm. Still the same recipe we're rolling with today. And was that made out of necessity or did you just not find anything that was already out there that you cared for? The first contest I went to go to, this is going to kind of be a rabbit hole answer. I, the only thing around here was head country. Mm-hmm. And I liked it, but it was a little salty for me. So I started putting things together. I had those little paper Dixie cups all over the countertop with a notebook and one, two, three, four, five, and whatever to mount. At that point, I didn't know. I, I'd put a teaspoon of this, half of this, um, some of that. And I, had, I would have 20, 30, 40 of them scattered across the counter. And it was all written down. And I was trying to get to this one recipe that I had in my head that I... That, that was flavored right. And I could never find it. But our first contest was coming up. So I took the premium rub. That's what we used on 99 everything. I think on the chicken, I used head country. But I, I, I still didn't like it cooked. I couldn't put my finger on it. And then I realized it was the cumin. I, I'm not a fan of cumin, cumin, whatever you want to call it. Right. And I pulled that out, went back to some of the different recipes, and that was it. That's and I've and I've rolled with it ever since. That very first contest, I injected because of my original brisket injection isn't far off of what we used to use in a tumbling machine in some of the different uh, skirt steaks and things like that. So I did have an injection already, and I actually quick cured my pork butt because I thought that would give it a great flavor. I remember slicing it and turning it in, and it was a red look. It looked like ham, mm-hmm. and it was not liked at all. <laughs> no, no so thanks. I didn't do that again. No thanks on that. Uh, so when, um, as of right now, with it, since you've developed a, just a, uh, a plethora of products, what right now? What's your favorite product of Butch Barbecue? When it comes to the rubs, I'd say the Grilling Addiction. Mm-hmm. It would be a toss-up between that and the private seasoning. That uh, the Grilling Addiction is. Uh, it, it, I don't know. If, you know, my little store. It's the number one seller with a bullet by far. Uh, is it the number one seller in your company right now? No. What is? As far as rubs, Honey Rub is. Honey Rub? Which is Grilling Addiction second? It's probably a tie between that and the Premium Rub. Mm-hmm. Simply because Premium Rub's been out for 10 or 12 years, 
and it's got a lot more retailers using it. So, all right, when you, um, what is the one product that you want to develop before you stop making rubs and sauces? It is quite quiet, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And that's not good for radio. <laughs> <laughs> it's called editing. <laughs> I'll tell you, I'm developing three items right now that I'm very excited about. As far as I've never got any one thing that I say, I want to get to this. I want to have this made. I would absolutely love to have a company come to me and say, you're a great pellet cook. We'd like to have your name as a signature series. I always thought that'd be cool. Oh, okay. On a pellet, on a pellet cook. Yeah. All right. And the last one that I have for you, what is your greatest regret so far in your business career? Not doing this quicker. Okay. But that's kind of a abbreviated answer because of what I'm doing is an accumulation of my knowledge for 45 years. So it's kind of, I don't know if I could do this when I was 20 years old. Right. You, you didn't have the experience. Yeah. And you had yeah. to get some work experience, I'm sure, under your belt. You had to get um, uh, an ethic down as you, as uh, people people that have been in business a long time, like you, myself. You, know, you evolve over the years. You learn to work. You learn to work. You're always going to work long, but you have to. I guess you have to work smarter as as you get older to put in those hours. At least I do. And uh, is that part of what maybe you wish you had done maybe at an earlier age? You started the uh, the rub business? Yeah, probably so. I didn't get into barbecue until my back was out. Mm-hmm. Never even considered it. Never even thought about it. Didn't even know that world was out there. Right. And I don't know if the barbecue world would have been able to withstand someone making a living with it. Because I think the evolution of barbecue through the TV shows, the food channel, everything, it's allowing people to utilize, well, that and Facebook, mm-hmm. the the ability to communicate with customers. That, that probably helps. Well, that, that's interesting, David, and that kind, of, that kind of wraps up what I wanted to talk with you about today. Now, I'm sure you have some very interesting questions to, to pose to me before my very interesting answers. <laughs> well, I wished I did, but I've got some questions. <laughs> Let's start with, where are you at right now? I am in Ottawa, Tennessee. I'm actually in my bonus room uh, in my studio, but we've got a... Um, a test kitchen set up at my uh, at my store, the barbecue store, the Austin's barbecue store, in my gas station in Old Trois, and that's what I that's what I do. All right, it's nine twenty five a.m. What were you doing twelve hours ago, nine twenty five p.m.? I was watching Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. You know Cowboy Buff? No, but I'm a Paul, so, Paul Newman fan. I've watched that movie a, a gajillion times. Okay. Else. What do you feel made Steve Ray a success today? Hard work, long hours, not the smartest guy in the room ever, but given the opportunity, I'll, I'll outwork you. If you don't bring your A game to the, to the table, I'll, uh, I will outwork you. I'll work harder than you to make it right. Midnight Oil is a really good retailer of ours. Describe your store setup with the gas station tire barbecue. Okay. The, uh, we've been there for 36 years. I started out as a Chevron station. It is, if you can imagine, Chevron stations, David, were actually um, designed by Frank Lloyd Wright, the architect, to get the Chevron stations. They've got that elongated, flat, square look. And my station looks just like the Chevron stations that dotted California, the Midwest, the East, when the service stations were out you know, in the thousands and thousands in the country. 
before they before they went out of vogue. Uh, my station was built in 1967, so picture an old-looking service station on the side of the road on the side of I-75 at mile marker 11 at the at the Utawa exit. It sits off the road just a little bit. It has a grass front in the in the front. I've got the pump, uh, the gasoline pumps are in the front of the station. When you walk and you go right to the station, there's an office, and I've got and behind the office is a, uh, I call it an office. It's actually the customer service area. To the left on the building are two service bays, and to the right of the building is my barbecue supply store. And when you go through the barbecue supply store, you go through, and you go to the back, you go to, you go through two double doors, and there's another garage where we also fix cars in the back. So the, the barbecue store is right in the middle of the entire operation. You said when you started, would you say 67? The station was built in 1967. I bought it and started operating it in 1983. Okay. Midnight Oil Station is a landmark in Oolaga, Tennessee. Yes. Maybe not when you started it, but now, since you've been there so long, do you have any plans or do you have anyone you want to pass it on to because you just, in your heart, don't want to see it close? No, I, I don't want to see it close. And, it, and it's it's such a... It's become it's become more of a it's become more than just a business, uh, more than just tires and, and repairing cars, and pumping gas. It, it's become sort of a David uh, almost a museum piece on the highway because I get people. You know, I'll be sitting in the office watching people pump gas, and I'll see a a fellow my age, maybe a little bit older. He'll get out of his uh, Cadillac or out of his uh, Lexus, and he'll go to the other side, and he'll open the door. He'll reach in, and he'll pull out a child that's maybe three, four, or five years old. And he takes that child by the hand, and he will walk over in front of the garage base where the guys are working on cars, installing tires, fixing tires, or whatnot. And he'll start pointing, and then he'll start explaining to the young person what's going on. Because, David, that person has never seen a service station, that young person. And that man, what he's telling them is, son, these were all over when I was your age. My daddy used to take me to this. Uh, we used to take my mom's car to this. Uh, it was such a – the local service station was such a big part of the community where you grew up back in the 60s, early 70s, especially the 50s. They were just as important as the town doctor. We just don't have that anymore. And it's something that I'm, you know, I'm kind of proud of that I'm part of. I'm part of a, a history and I don't want to see it close. And uh, there is a succession plan in place right now. But uh, David, I'm telling you, I'm 61 and I don't have any plans on retiring right now. I just don't, I have, I'm a person that has to work. If, if I don't work, I won't last long. I'll just tell you that much. Because that's the way I'm built. I've got to be doing something. So um, I could see myself slowing down. But right now, I can never see a day where I won't go into the service station each day to do business. So when you bought that back in the 80s, you obviously had goals. You had things that you'd like to have seen done. And I'm sure you've met them. Or they've changed over time, morphed into something a little different. Let's be real. Barbecue. I'm sure that wasn't on your no. Um, no. Highlight. Yeah. Not at all. You were the cause. What do you see? <laughs> <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> 
What do you see next? What do you see different? Well, what I'd like to do is the barbecue business has morphed out of my love of competition barbecue, the interest that I have in cooking barbecue. David, before I found barbecue, I was not a cook at all. If we had steaks at the house, I wouldn't even make them. My wife would make them. I had no interest in cooking whatsoever. You know, a lot of guys were always king of the grill. You know, they're, they're backyard king, the domain guy. That wasn't me. I, I could care less about uh, preparing food. But when I started the barbecue thing, watching Barbecue Pitmasters, by the way, is how I got interested and started on it. It, it morphed into a, an enjoyment of it. Then I morphed into competing. And then I got interested in the business side of it. And I guess that's kind of the kiss of death for some people, especially if you have any entrepreneurial spirit that, you know, I'm interested in this. And I've always been that type of person that wants to, to be at the scene and tell the story to other people. And that's kind of how I look at the uh, barbecue store is people come in, they like to talk to me. They know I cook barbecue and they would say, what do you do, Steve? How do you do it? And uh, we, we talk about it and that helps them get started. And I want that to grow and I've got room to grow that business. I want to put in a line of uh, grills or smokers or something like that to go along with the, uh, the supply side of it. That's what, that's my goal for the barbecue business, for the service station. I just want the, the, my goal for the service station is to keep growing slowly because our area is growing so fast that, you know, normally David, the pie doesn't get bigger, but in our case, the pie does get bigger. And with every subdivision that's built, if I get 10, 12 different new customers, my business will grow and it will continue to grow. And it's a, uh, it's a good business to pass on too, because the, the beautiful thing about fixing cars and selling gasoline is the internet will never be able to do that. You can never get your car fixed on the internet. Somebody's going to have to touch it with their hands. So that kind of isolates people like me in an industry that will always be there. Is your property landlocked or do you have room for expansion? I've got a little bit of room for expansion, not a whole lot, but uh, there's two huge motels behind me, but I've got a little bit of a backyard I could still go into. And I can always okay. pull up. That's the thing. People don't realize if you got a smaller, smaller lot, you know, you can't go out, but you can go up with, with building today and the, the, the bright people that are out there in the architect world and the building world. There's a lot of people with imaginations that, um, you know, that, that air above you. And I know it sounds crazy talking in Ottawa, Tennessee, but that air above you has value. So you're thinking, I can use the, the ground level platform either for more base, more pumps, and go up with barbecue. Right. You could, well, I could go up. I could, you could actually go up with the automotive service. There's no, you know, what's to say you can't build a ramp up to a garage above you? See what I'm saying? Well, yeah. There's that car dealership now that is yep. like a vending machine. Mm-hmm. So why not? Exactly. That's why I'm right. saying the You're space right. above you has got value. From listening to some of your other podcasts that you've done, you seem to be integrated into your community and the business of Oolagal. Do you hold any city offices or have you? No. No, Ottawa is actually a little unincorporated area of Hamilton County. Uh, we're not a city. You know, the, the governing body is Hamilton County for Ottawa. No, I've never, I've never been approached. I've never wanted to, David. I'm not. You know, I'm so thin-skinned, and and I'll admit it. I want everybody to love me. And I'm, I'm going to tell you something. If a, if my constituents were a hundred people, and I ran for office, and 99 people voted for me, and one person didn't, 
I would lose sleep at night worried about that one person. Why didn't you vote for me? You know, how could okay. you not love me? That's just the way how I'm built. How could you not love me? <laughs> I love that. I, that's the way I'm built. And so, so being, you know, being a, a politician, if I had to run for an office and I got 51%, I would consider that a complete and utter failure. I just don't, I just don't have that kind of, I don't have that kind of gumption, I guess. I asked pitmasters this, the comp cook guys, that in barbecue, everything evolves. Usually you're a backyard griller. You become a pitmaster. You become a cop cook. And then sometimes they'll go on to teach classes or they'll sell rubs and sauces. For you, you've kind of taken a different approach. You started your station. You got your family set up. You dove off into the barbecue a little bit. And then you dove off into podcasting. Right. How'd you get started in podcasting? I was, uh, I was always, I was, I've always been interested in the media. I did a, uh, I did a car show here on radio in Chattanooga for 21 years. It was called the Saturday morning radio garage. And we answered phone. We answered, we answered questions. People would call in about their cars and we would give them advice, kind of like a click and clack show. And it was very popular. And we also did on Saturday mornings or early at six o'clock in the morning, we did a show called the Saturday morning yard sale where people would call me and put items out there on they say hey steve i've got a a grill for sale i've got a a tractor for sale i've got a whatever a swap meet yeah swap meet and it was i know it sounds corny and goofy but and it was but as radio evolved back in 1994 and 95 when i started that it was all caller driven radio was a lot of fun to do they called all the time and all i did david i would go into the studio at the radio station at wgow i'd sit down flip the switch and the phone lines would light up for the next three hours, it was solid callers. But as the years went on, the caller driven was replaced by people wanting to text, people wanting to tweet, uh, people wanting to instant message you with questions, and they didn't want to be on the radio. Well, that makes radio boring. And so it kind of, in the, the kind of thing I was doing, kind of petered out. But then I saw a lot of people doing a lot of Facebook stuff. So I incorporated that the, lot of, the last two years into my car show, I simulcast it on Facebook and I was getting more customers off of Facebook than I was off of the radio station. So I said, why would I, why would I continue to pay for the radio time when I can do Facebook for free and get those customers? That's how I evolved into the show. And then I quit doing the car show when my interest in barbecue became so that I was much more interested in talking about barbecue than I was about car repair. And uh, that's how the barbecue podcast started. All right. How many podcasts do you do a week, a month? Uh, one a week. I do one. Uh, we do the show live on Thursday nights on Facebook. And then I, I record it and I put it on podcast. And I just started doing the podcast. So they're, they've only been out there for about, oh, probably about a month and a half. So the podcast oh, okay. is different, but I've been doing the video cast for two years. And, and both are fun. You know, both are a lot of fun. What platform do you use? Where can they go find us too? Um, my podcast is available on Spotify, and uh, Spotify sends it to different uh, plat- platforms. I'm not real. I'm not real familiar with what they do with it, but anybody can go to Spotify, and uh, that's where I always listen to uh, podcasts is on Spotify. And our show is live on Thursday nights on Facebook, on the Owls Nest Barbecue Facebook page. And and Dave, that has been real successful. I started it as a as a medium for advertising uh, my store and I get a lot of local people that watch it, but it's, it's evolved into a, uh, uh, you know, I say nationwide, but it's just because, you know, the, it, the internet's nationwide. So I've got people from all over the United States that listen to it and they contact me. And it's a lot of fun. 
It's a, it's a lot of fun. It is. And that's one thing I enjoy about it. I like getting the private message just like you do about, hey, I listen. I'm a big fan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, people yeah. through the week, they'll just email you and say, hey, I heard you talking to, to David. Um, do you have his stuff? Yeah. Do you have this? Yeah. Or, you know, do you have this product? Or, you know, I heard you talking to this guy. And uh, people people listen that, that are interested in barbecue they listen to this stuff and it, and they, they give you give you feedback and it's a it's a great give and take and and you know i learn something every time i do a show from somebody you know my you know my, my big thing is you know education should remain unfinished try to you know try to learn something with every endeavor that you do and i've been lucky to be around a lot of people that do this that i learned a lot from and uh, i've incorporated it into what i do so it's a, you know, it's a learning process. Am I as good as a lot of people out there? No. Will I ever be as good? No, probably never will be. But I try to make it interesting, try to make it entertaining. You know, if, if it's not your cup of tea, it's not your cup of tea. That's why they make the remote on the television. That's why they make refresh on the internet, you know? So with your podcast in mind, because that seems to be where the third leg of your business is going. It is. Do you have any advertisers on there or you want to make it monetary? No, not at all. I'm using it for a, an advertising medium. You know, I, I put I put Butcher Barbecue products on almost everything that I do, sponsored by Butcher Barbecue. Now, you, of course, you don't sponsor me, but I sponsor me through through your products. You know what I'm saying? Michelin Tires. Absolutely. You know, I, I, I you know brought to you by Michelin Tires. Michelin Tires does not send me a check. I sponsor myself through Michelin tires. So the things that I do that, uh, that I'm familiar with is what I'm trying to push people to come to my store. And it's been a, I tell you, David, it's been a, it's been a winning combination. I just, could you imagine if, if when we were young, when we were young men, when I was 23 years old, when I started that gas station, if I had Facebook to use as a marketing tool, and I'm going to tell you something, I tell people all the time, advertising used to be, you called up the newspaper and you said, send a representative out. They would come from downtown Chattanooga out to Ottawa, 20 miles. And you go, I want to run an ad in the paper. Okay, what do you want to say? All right, I want to do all this stuff. All right, I'll take this back. They take it back to the newspaper, to the copywriters, and they and they mac up a uh, an ad. And then they bring it back out to you a couple of days later, and you have to approve it. And then they take it back downtown, and they put it in the paper. You don't know where they're going to put it. They don't promise you they're going to put it anywhere. So you'll, they'll put a quarter-page ad for tires, batteries, and accessories on the woman's lingerie page in the paper for some reason where nobody's going to see it. And then you have to pay them $445 for one day. That used to be advertised. That was our way we advertised our business. Can you imagine trying to open a business advertising like that today? I, the one thing I took out of that is in Chattanooga, Tennessee, Women don't wear lingerie. <laughs> I don't know what they wear, but they sure don't buy tires. I can tell you that. So you know, you, you know, so it was, a, it was a constant struggle to get your message out. And then when I found radio, that's when my business really took off. When I started really appealing to the masses, and uh, which makes sense because you, you know, as you, you know, I was not a, I was not an advertising executive when I got out of college. I was a, a newspaper reporter, and I had a little uh, a journalism degree, and I have a little bit of. PR work in my background. As far as advertising, I, I took very little advertising. So, but, but well, I think we both asked ten questions, but let's go down another rabbit hole. I want to. Okay. When it comes to nowadays, just like what you started this, uh, the marketing, the advertising, business philosophy, everything changes, evolves. If you don't change, you're going to be a dinosaur. That's why I personally feel that. 
those giant executives, the CEOs and all those giant buildings, they surround themselves with the people that have that knowledge. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I don't have that knowledge. I learn it or I fake it till I make it. Well, yeah, but, but what you do, David, it is the same thing that I've done is you keep yourself relevant. That's all we can do being as small as we are. We, we have to do things to bring attention to ourselves. You, you do it through, all right, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to start making a, a, a grilling oil. Well, nobody ever made a grilling oil. That's right. So David Bosk at Butch Barbecue has a grilling oil. Well, that makes you relevant for that, for that year. And these products that you're developing, uh, that you're working on now will make you even more relevant. Uh, when I, when I started being a, becoming a Michelin tire dealer, I made myself relevant. When I started selling gasoline without ethanol and promoting it as ultra premium, I kept myself relevant every day. You have to get up and reinvent yourself when you're in small business, like we are. And the guys that don't, they get tired of their business. And their business fails. So if you're not, if you're not, that's the, that's the secret to small business is staying relevant in your community and making yourself get up every day and reinvent yourself. And that's, that's the secret to small business. I think it's worked for me. I like that. You know, we do this and don't even realize it or know how to put it in words, but you're absolutely right. Yeah. It's, it's in anybody that's in successful small business, you know, there's, you know, there's a lot of guys with multiple repair facilities and, you know, they just flat out, they're just smarter than I am. I, I can, I can operate one, but I try to, I operate it as the best of my ability. And, uh, I don't have, I don't have that need to have, you know, multiple outlets. I've got multiple businesses in one out. So, you know, and, and you can run it different ways. But the main thing is, you know, show up and don't screw up and keep yourself relevant and you'll be successful. But you get, but yep. three things, David, you know, yourself, those are hard sometimes, you know, sometimes it's hard. I mean, I guarantee you there's probably some mornings you, you crawled from your back door to that butcher shop, you know, not feeling like, you know, I feel like cutting an animal. Like I feel like cutting my own hand off, you know, but you did it to a point. There was never another job I ever wanted. Mm-hmm. I love cut meat. Yeah, you I made it good one morning or you may have been hung over or, or nah, a party yeah. or something like yeah. that. And you went, Oh nope. gosh, <laughs> I, I literally took the personal pride in cutting meat, serving it the way it's supposed to be getting it done. Right. The part that I hated was chasing the farmers calling the downtime while we're waiting for this or that, mm-hmm. but the cutting itself there was never another job I wanted. Yeah, because it's interesting. It's interesting. Yeah, and everyone's different. One hundred percent of everyone's different. It's just like we so, buy brisket at the store. You know, you, you that's look, right. We we look at them and we look at them, and there's something that catches our eye because they're all different. Yeah. Anything else you can think of? No, I think David. I, I think we had a great conversation. I really do. I, I enjoyed talking to you. You know, two two people that um, are trying to do the same thing with different uh, businesses that are, are similar. <laughs> you know, I should say different businesses that are similar that, that, you know, the lucky thing is, you know, I crossed paths with you years ago uh, on the barbecue central show in a chat room. And um, you were nice enough to talk to me in that chat room. And then you were nice enough to invite us to your trailer at the Jack a couple years ago. You, you know, it's just, sometimes you just look out and you meet somebody that, that has a, um, that uh, takes a, an active role in your business and in your life. And in your, to me that you have done that through introducing me to your products that, Hey, I've got a 
you know, Steve, I got a product that you can sell and keep it giving me the support. And you're, and you're there all the time when I need something, you're there. And, uh, that's the main thing. That's the, like I said, showing up's the biggest part and, uh, you show up for people and, uh, you should be very proud of that. When it's all said and well, done, Steve. you know, when, when they're talking about you, you know, I'd rather the best thing somebody could say about me was he showed up every day. And to me, that'd be, you know, yeah, he did. And uh, we could depend on it. Yeah. Now, don't think all those kind words are going to get you out of something. <laughs> this is still my part of this uh, podcast. And you know what's fixing to happen. Yeah. I'm fixing to inject you with a butcher barbecue truth serum. Yep. <laughs> I, love, I love that part. <laughs> All right. I asked this just recently to someone and it stumped him. So I thought I've got to use it one more time. If you could have lunch with any one person dead or alive, who would it be? My father. Gosh, I want you to know. I thought if he turns the tides on me, who am I going to say? <laughs> no, and that's would have been my, my dad, answer too. He passed away nine years ago and, uh, we, uh, he's a, he's a great guy. He was a great guy. He's a funny man. He's a shoe salesman, one of the most unassuming people I've ever met, but he's the smartest guy in the world. And he taught me yes, so sir. much about business, and I'd love to pick his brain one more time. Yeah. All right. As a softball. Since that was an easy, that. aside from necessities, indoor toiletry, stuff like that, what one thing could you not go a day without? Oh, wow. Um, oh, boy. One day I go. At least I still got it. Man, you do. That's a good one. I'm trying to think of what I, what I need every day. Um, gosh, I, I guess as corny as it sounds, I guess the love of my family. No, that's, that's important. Yeah. That's to me, that's, um, cause I've, David, I'm lucky I've got everything. What, what about you? What, what is, who's the one person that you'd like to have lunch with? Well, like I said, I answered that real quick. It'd have to be my dad too, bud. We lost dad back in September of this year or last year. Mm -hmm. And he is the one that gave me my last name. He's the one that allowed me to strive to want to do something. And I'd love to cook him one more barbecue meal. He was the hardest. Steve, I'm sorry. That's okay. That's okay, David. I understand. It happened to me all the time. He's a hardworking man. I bet you was. He was. <sighs> Take your time. It's all right. He was probably the most honest guy with my barbecue I've ever served. Mm -hmm. And 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 don't you wish? Don't you wish? Looking back on it, that you know, I wish I could have been more like my father. I, you know, I was nothing. I'm nothing like him. He taught me a lot, but you know, he was unassuming. Never wanted to be in the spotlight, and uh, I was just 180 degrees different than him in that respect. But I always, I was, I always try to remember the things that he told me. While I was out there striving to be in the spotlight. I've got two brothers that are a lot like him. Mm -hmm. I wasn't. Um, but he treated each one of us exactly as to how we are. Yeah. So. I understand what you're saying. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I'd love to cook him one more meal to let him say, those ribs ain't good enough. <laughs> <laughs> now, if I, if I cooked my dad barbecue, he'd said, where did you learn to do this? Because <laughs> he, he he passed away before I started doing it, and uh, <laughs> you know, David, I remember yep. when I was um, when I was a kid, I used to travel with it, and he would go through. He'd say, "Pick up that book," and he had all his customers listed in it, and he'd say, right, "In case you ever do what I'm doing, 
he went through every customer one trip that we had and told me something, a little tidbit about each customer that he had. Now, he called on, these are the days when you got in your car, traveled around western North Carolina, East Tennessee, and he called on mom and pop shoe stores. I mean, the traveling shoe salesman, you know, the you know, the butt of every joke. And he went through every customer. Can you imagine that, David? Knowing something small and trivial about every person that walked through your door or walked through your butcher shop or walked through my gas station. I don't. I don't know. A lot you know of, what I'd call that? You know. Being personal. Yeah. He, he was amazing. I mean, professional salesperson. And um, and I'm the worst. And, David, I'm the worst salesman. I'm the. If I had to make a living in sales, I'd, I'd starve to death. I'd tell everybody I'm a concierge. I, if you got a problem, I can fix it. Just tell me what the problem is. But as far as I, when I used to sell golf carts, when my son worked with me, he was the golf cart salesman. Uh, Bo left. He took another job working for a, a garage downtown where he runs now. It's a real big, a real big garage, because that's you know he's 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 good at he's good at that kind of stuff. I would never be that good at it. But he used to sell the golf carts. But when he left, I quit selling them. I just couldn't sell them because when somebody would come in and say. You know, if I had $3,000 on a golf cart and they'd say, I'll give you $2,000 cash, you know, I'd, I'd tell them, what, what the hell are you thinking about? <laughs> you, know, what, <laughs> you know, I wouldn't try to sell I'd say, I'd start telling them, well, you know, why, what are you thinking about? Give me 2000 cash. What do you think? You, you think my accountant doesn't know these are here? <laughs> you know, yeah. I, okay, Jim, Bob, I, you know, I sold unit six for cash, you know, take it off. So I was, I'm going to keep the cash. Yeah, there's, there's the jails are loaded with people like that. So I just I'm yeah. not a good salesman. I can't tell. You. But if you can well, have Steve, plan. let's go back and forth. Let's go back and forth. Let's tell everybody where they can find you. You can find um, uh, the Al's Nest Barbecue Spot on Facebook, on Instagram, and in Oldtua, Tennessee, right on Exit 11 on the east side. I can hit the interstate with a nine iron. And where can they find David Bosca? We've got a couple websites, Butcher BBQ, ButcherBBQ.com, and Wild Seasoning. That's W-Y-L-D. Uh, Facebook, Instagram, and I'm not good at Instagram. I'll tell you that right now. Well, I'm not great at any of it, but we're there. David, I enjoyed <laughs> this. Good luck to you, and thanks so much for having me. And uh, thank you so much for being on my show. I appreciate it. Well, Steve, I appreciate it a whole lot. I know how busy you are. You even told us. Yeah. <laughs> I'd like to say thanks to all the listeners. We'll get this finished up, and I want everyone to like it and follow both podcasts. Thank you so much. Take care. Smash that subscribe button and be ready for Butcher's next podcast. <laughs> <laughs>